I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanets LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com. This is the podcast for women who want to create careers and lives they love. I'm your host, Heather Fincher. Welcome to the Powerful Professional Women podcast. If you want to create a career in life you love, then you're in the right place. I'm an attorney practicing tax law in Washington, D.C., and I started this podcast because I'm on a quest to learn everything I can from successful professional women, and I want to share that journey with you. I want you to be empowered, informed, and inspired by the women on this podcast because I want us all to win, and every woman's path to success is her own. So take what works for you and set aside the rest. I'm so happy to have Grace Perez-Navarro on the podcast today in front of a live audience to tell her story and provide actionable insights on courage. Grace is a global public policy leader with more than 35 years of experience in law, government, and executive leadership. She's an American lawyer with a long and distinguished career in public service in both the United States and internationally. Until her retirement in April 2023, she served as director of the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the Center for Tax Policy and Administration in Paris, where she led the OECD's tax work, both international and domestic. Grace also served as the honorary chair of the OECD Women's Network and patron of the first edition of the Global Forum's Women Leaders in Tax Transparency Program. As a leading authority in global tax policy, Grace has a reputation for being a consensus builder, steadfast, and a policy giant. And as a member of our tax community, Grace is also known to be kind, generous, and gracious. Grace, thank you for joining us. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Well, thanks, Heather. I'm really delighted to be here. And congratulations to you for launching this amazing initiative. I know it's going to have a lot of impact. Thank you so much. I'm so excited you're here. Okay, to start us off, today we're talking about courage and thinking back earlier in your career. Tell us about a time when you needed to exercise your courage. Okay, well, courage is a big word and it means different things in different contexts. My parents moved to the United States from Argentina with four children. That took a lot of courage. I'm so grateful to them because that was a huge risk. And I don't think I would have had the amazing uh, professional opportunities I've had uh, if I had stayed in San Juan, Argentina. Some might say it took a lot of courage for me to move to Houston as a young lawyer where I went to work for the IRS, but I really liked tax policy. And that was something I really appreciated in law school. And I also liked the idea of public service. Now, shortly after going to the IRS's district council office in Houston, I was offered a position at the IRS national office in Washington, D.C. This was less than two years after I had moved to Houston. But I was really excited about this because I was joining the newly formed international office in the chief counsel's office. And this was just a great opportunity. And it was bringing together one of my other big interests other than tax, and that was international. I had majored in international studies at Cornell. So this was uh, a great opportunity for me to be able to combine that interest in the international with my interest in tax policy and public service. I, I love my job in DC. It was just a great job. I met great people, but I also worked on 
a lot of different things. Not many people get to have the diverse portfolio that I had, but because they were just starting and I was, I don't know, I was in a unique position there. I was able to work on large case international litigation, which was stressful, but a lot of fun. I wrote regulations and rulings. I worked on tax treaties. I negotiated information exchange agreements with other countries. So I got to travel a lot and meet people from all over the world and learn from them and how they looked at tax policy. So for me, that was a great, great experience. I also had a great boss, John Lyons, who played a key role in my professional development. He had a military background. He was a, an ex-Marine, uh, and he never let you forget that. Um, and so his idea of a good career path was to keep moving up the chain. And that was what he was encouraging me to do. And at one point, he suggested that I apply for the head of the district council office in Boise, Idaho. This was an office that had four people at the time. Now, he thought this was a great opportunity because I was moving up the chain. I would have management responsibility. It would be on my resume. And, you know, that would hopefully lead to other things. Well, I was not that enthusiastic about this prospect. I did understand what he was saying, but it was going to take me out of the international tax work that I loved. And I didn't know where that might lead to. I think he had more confidence in, you know, just moving up the chain uh, from his military background, but I was not sure. And so I very bravely said no <laughs> to this opportunity. Um, for me, the reason for saying no, apart from loving what I was doing at the time, was also, I, I just felt like we in our careers, in our lives, spend most of our waking hours at work. It has to be something that we care about, that we have a passion about. Yes. Um, and so I just thought as much as it would have been interesting to develop managerial skills, mm -hmm. et cetera, I would be leaving behind yeah. um, an area that I really, really enjoyed. And so I, uh, I did say no to this. Now, I have to tell you that his climb up the hierarchy involved heading up the office in Honolulu and then Miami, a little bit different from Boise, Idaho. Yeah. So I think he could appreciate a bit my uh, hesitancy. And he, I mean, I get your struggle though. I mean, he was your boss and this was, he really believed in this method of, of managing your career. And so you stood in that place and said, no, because that was what you doing, being true to yourself. I, that's inspiring. It took a lot of courage. So yes. how, <laughs> how, did, how did that turn out for you? Well, what? you know, as you say, he was my boss and he was my self-appointed champion. So it yes. wasn't just saying no to the boss. Here was somebody who right. was trying to do good things for me and what he really thought mm -hmm. was best. Mm -hmm. um, but I just knew it, it wouldn't make me happy. And so I said no, and I felt very guilty um, because of the fact that he was looking out for me and yeah. thinking of my best interests. Now, fortunately, he took it very well, and he continued to look for professional development opportunities for me. Um, there was another time that came along many years later 
where I had to say no again. And that was much harder. That was when I was at the OECD and I was asked to consider the position of executive director of the whole OECD, the whole organization. Now, by that time, I was already the deputy director of the Center for Tax Policy and Administration. And so the only next step really in the organization is to become a director. Um, and so this would have meant going to the highest point I could go. Um, but again, my instincts told me I would not be happy being the executive director. And I didn't have a lot of time. I had 24 hours to think about it. I didn't have a lot of time. And uh, I talked to a lot of people within the organization and outside uh, explaining, but my gut was just telling me this is not the right move, even if it meant uh, moving up. And wow. yeah. <laughs> wow. The one piece of advice that I got from other people was be careful how you say no. And that was the big lesson I took away from that. And I did think very hard about how I was going to decline this important opportunity within the organization. I told the truth. And the truth was that I did love what I was doing. I really loved what I was doing. And at the time, luckily uh, for me, the work, the OECD's work on international taxation was at the top of the political landscape. Uh, you know, we were working on dealing with bank secrecy tax evasion. We were working on base erosion and profit shifting of multinationals. All of this was on the front pages of the newspapers. And so I, you know, thanked the person very much for offering this opportunity, but I said, I just, you know, I really love what I am doing and we're at a critical juncture and I didn't think it was the right moment to leave. Amazing. It can be, it can be so difficult to say no. And those are, those are <laughs> huge opportunities just presented to you. So thinking about let's, let's, I'd love to dig in a little bit further, like how in the, in that moment, you had 24 hours for in the second example. Um, how did you get connected to what, what you wanted to then, because then you, you said you were honest, but like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like for anyone who's having a hard time listening to themselves, like knowing whether to say yes or no to an opportunity that's being presented, especially by a champion, how to get in touch with that? How, how did you, like, let's dig in a little bit more. Well, I, you know, this was a big, the second one was a big, big decision. Um, because it was a major step up. Um, and I had applied for director of the Center for Tax Policy before and didn't get that. And so this was an opportunity to get up to that level. But in my heart, I just knew that this was not going to be a job I was passionate about. And you know, for again, we spend most of our waking hours at work. And I really think right. that you have to be passionate about what you do. And mm -hmm. I was in a position where I was helping countries around the world making, you know, really uh, significant changes to international tax policy and beyond. So it was just hard to think about just moving up for the sake of a title. But that is not an easy decision to make. And so I did speak to uh, one former director, uh, executive director, and then other 
friends of mine in senior positions in the OECD and then friends outside. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they were very helpful. This is, you know, this was a big, big deal to say no. But yes. in the end, I, you know, and they, they did agree with me. They said, you know, why would you leave what you're doing now when you're at the top of your game? And it's, it's the most exciting part of the OECD. So right. that made it right. a little easier. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. So just pulling from what you're saying, I'm, what I'm hearing is that, so you knew something in your heart, like you knew something inside of you, like this, uh, why would I leave what I'm enjoying? And then you also reached out to people that you trusted and talked with them. And then in the end, we're just, you were authentic. You were, you needed courage to just be honest and, and explain like where, like to be grateful for the opportunity and explain why you were saying no. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. We can all take that. We can all take that away with us. Now, curious, how did you get to the OECD? Well, this goes back to John Lyons, the Marine, who was my self-appointed champion. Um, there came a time at the OECD where they wanted to launch a revision of the transfer pricing guidelines mm -hmm. that had been around since 1979. And the, the U.S. was in the process of revising its own transfer pricing rules and regulations, the 482 rules. And so uh, the OECD asked for the United States to send someone over to help them revise the guidelines. So it was a one-year uh, position at the OECD. And so John suggested that I do this. And uh, it was very funny because I, you know, I had been out for lunch one day with a friend of mine. I never went out for lunch, but my friend Lilo persuaded me to go out. And I came back and everyone was like, you've got to go find John. He's looking for you. And I don't know if it's a normal reaction, but when people say things like that to me, I always think, oh, I'm in trouble. Right. And so <laughs> I went looking for him and uh, people said, oh, he's in a meeting. And I said, okay, well, I'll be in my office. No, no, you have to pull him out of the meeting. So I was like, Dear God, what has happened? And he came out, dramatic look in his eyes. It's like, oh, thank God you're here. He was a very dramatic person. And so he, he asked me point blank, how would you like to go to the OECD for one year to help them revise their transfer pricing guidelines? Well, I was really surprised. Um, right. One, because right. I was not a transfer pricing expert at the time. And <laughs> It, it just came so out of the blue. So I said, well, how much time do I have to think about it? He looked at his watch and said, 15 minutes. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> what? How did, how did you know in a moment? How do you, how did... <laughs> I didn't know in a moment, Heather, honestly, I didn't know. What I knew was it was one year working at an international organization, working abroad, which is something I had always wanted to do. And I just thought, transfer pricing, I'll figure it out. It's facts and circumstances, I'll figure it out. Right. And, right. So, um, and so that's what I did. I said, yes, I'll do it. And then it took some time for the process. So I had a chance to, you know, bone up on transfer pricing. Right. And I was in the team that was working on revising the uh, 482 regulations. And so by the time I went, I had some knowledge. Yep. I just, I just need to say here, Grace, I want to acknowledge. So 
we're talking about courage and I see courage in everything that you're saying right now. So, uh, so a couple of things, one would be making a decision, a life-changing decision. Even if you're saying it's just for a year, you're going to move to another country, pick up this career that you love and move it, um, over, over to Paris in this, in this new organization. And you decided in a moment. So amazing courage just in yourself, but you can, it's like, maybe there was fear there, but I feel, I think I see courage as, um, it's like, I'm scared, but I'm doing it anyway, right? Like you just <laughs> did it anyway. Beautiful. The second piece I see that I think can be a big impact for a lot of us um, is that sometimes a lot of us can struggle with self-doubt or if we don't, like you didn't know transfer pricing, you weren't the expert, for example, in transfer pricing, but that didn't phase you because you had the courage to say, I know I can learn. I, I was hoping I could learn. I was 100% <laughs> sure I could learn, but I thought, well, I'll figure it out. You know, and that was, you know, that's just what I did. And it worked out. <laughs> yes, it worked out. With uh, I'd love to hear. Do you want to share anything about how it worked out? I mean, didn't you grow the organization? You had, didn't you come in with like 70 people and then there were like, oh, two, well, yes. I mean, so, yes. So I went over to the OECD for that one year. And then at the end of the year, I went back uh, to the IRS chief counsel's office. And then three years later, uh, my boss at the OECD at the time, Jeffrey Owens, called me and said, I have the perfect job for you. And um, so I guess I did a good enough job <laughs> when I was there for the one year. I also, and it's interesting, I think this played a role when I was leaving in my sort of exit interview after the one year, he said, what are we not doing that we should be doing? And I said, well, you're not tackling bank secrecy. That is one of the most challenging issues for all countries because the U.S. has tried to get some of these secrecy jurisdictions to change their evil ways and has been unsuccessful on its own. So there needs to be multilateralism to get this changed. And so three years later, when he called me, this was the perfect job he had for me. And uh, we started working on bank secrecy then. And as you said, we were very small at the time. At the time, even when I went back, I don't know how many people we were then. I went back uh, in the middle of July of 1997. And we were just a division of another department. Um, but we, with this work on bank secrecy and also the work we had started on harmful tax uh, competition, we were getting more visibility of the work and growing the team. And at a certain point, um, we asked to be made into our own department and we got that approval. And I helped um, build the structure for that and build the team. And so we created the Center for Tax Policy and Administration. And two years later, I became uh, the deputy director of the center. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was Amazing. a very exciting time. I mean, we, we were only 70 people, but when I first went there, I think we were only like 20 people. Oh my goodness. Yes. We were only <laughs> 20 people and I'm talking assistants included there. So, uh -huh, uh -huh, um, uh -huh. we were very small. And by the time I became deputy director, we were 70 people. And when I left the OECD, we were 250 people. 
Mm -hmm. So dramatic growth over that period of time, not only in the personnel, but also in the areas of work that we were uh, covering. So when I first joined the OECD, I think the thing everybody knew the OECD for in the tax area was the OECD model tax convention. That was kind of one of our flagship products. And then the transfer pricing guidelines. We're also known in wider economic circles for our revenue statistics. But other than that, everything else was kind of ad hoc. One of, I would say, the most important things that we did was we grew the number of countries participating in our work. The OECD is a relatively small organization in terms of its member countries. It currently has 38 member countries, and they are some of the most developed countries in the world. We knew to tackle issues like bank secrecy, BEPS, uh, space erosion and profit shifting, you needed to have a much wider group of countries involved because these issues are cross-border. And so tackling them in one country just shifts the activities to other countries. And so we needed a level playing field. And so even though the OECD membership is 38 countries, we were able to bring in well over 100 countries into our work on BEPS. I think right now there are like 146 countries participating in our global forum on transparency. We have 160, almost 170 countries and jurisdictions participating as members on an equal footing with OECD members. And so that was really an important part of what we did, as well as broaden the work to cover tax and climate change, tax and gender, tax and health, tax and development, those kinds of issues and beyond. Amazing. So your willingness to stand for following your passion, your interests, from early on in your career and tracing all the way through some of the, the harder no's that you said, the decisions that you made along the way, living in that space of courage, like look what you were a part of creating, Grace. Amazing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it was a great career. What could I tell you? Um, I didn't know how it would turn out when I started. It's funny because last night, a friend of mine sent me a picture from our law school graduation. And I looked so young and naive and I just looked at it and thought, I could not have even imagined then standing in our moot courtroom that, uh, you know, my life would turn out like this, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, um, but very rewarding. Absolutely. And we celebrate you. Wow. This is such a tremendous opportunity to connect with you. Thank you for Um, sharing what you have so far. We'll wrap up this section. And um, I just want to thank you again, Grace, for sharing your story, for focusing us on courage, all of the experience and insights that you've shared with us. I also want to thank our live live audience who have been with Grace and me today for all of your support and positive energy. And I'm grateful for each one of our listeners. I hope you leave this episode inspired and empowered to be your most powerful professional self. Thanks, Heather. I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanos LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations, with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com.